love this intro. <laughs> Hello there, and welcome to Pink Milk. I'm your host, Brian, and you are about to listen to a late night live stream. Well, a clip of one anyways, and it's not so late anymore. But you're about to listen to a clip from Pink Milk After Dark, uh, our late night live stream where we take deep dives into Star Wars and get real thirsty. However, I'm not there this evening, or that evening, I guess, because it was in El Pasado. And uh, Chase and Em were there to hang out with you and the Steam Queens to talk about Lita, Mon Mothma, Cyril, our little boy, Bimo. Ugh. Uh, chapter 11, episode 11 of Andor was a real heartbreak of an episode. And uh, they do a really great job of getting into that. Before and after, we're going to listen to the latter half per usual for this here podcast. So thank you for that. If you enjoy what they're doing, which I'm sure you will, because they're great, head on over to YouTube. Look at uh, Serving Pink Milk on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and watch the first half of that very wonderful live stream right over there. In the meantime, you know, I haven't been able to talk about this episode yet. And um, I'm going to with my husband on Husband and Husband Later this week, we're going to talk a lot about, I think, Marva uh, and the grief of loss and how to process that and not being able to be with someone as they pass as um, that was a reality for a lot of people this last few years during COVID. And I know that affected our family. So hearts out to everyone with that. I really like this episode a lot. It was really, really heavy. And here we are. The climax the last episode before the season finale and I still don't know what the heck's going to happen at all let me know if you think anything over on Twitter at Serving Pink Milk or on Instagram at Serving Pink Milk maybe TikTok or shoot us an email at Serving or uh, I'm sorry shoot us an email at Serving Pink Milk at gmail.com and uh, I don't know if you're watching the video you can possibly see this little manscaped t-shirt that I'm wearing and um, they're a sponsor of this year episode and the next several episodes, right before Christmas, right before the holidays, whatever it is that you celebrate. Um, if you have a person in your life that uh, likes to be a little trim, it's pretty great. In full transparency, my balls are pretty trim. Haven't been this trim in I don't know how long. And uh, thank you, Manscaped. Check the show notes down below for a discount code of 20% and free shipping with code PINKBALLS. Let them know that we sent you there so we can get, you know, a little thank you, Pink Milk. Um, until that, until then, until whatever, let's get into this episode, listen to Chase and them do some great stuff. Are you ready? Let's drink up.
It's so good. I mean, she's just sitting there frozen in her fear and frozen in the enormity of her situation and frozen in this like, I mean, it's just hopelessness. And it's it's so good. It's so good. So anyway, sorry, I guess we're going to go into Mommy Mothman now. I said anything before, but works for me. (laughs) Okay, well, do you want to kind of bring up this idea about like, you went like you, me and Brian were talking on the group chat, our little GC, and we were kind of talking about the the nuances of Lita and Mon and Vel and like the mm-hmm. whole Shangelin connection and and sort of like it's a, it's a fascinating thing to detangle for a lot of different reasons. And I'm really excited to see where that ends up going because there's so many like things at play. But two of the things that we talked about that were at play is like generational gaps and cultural shifts and where those come into play with these three characters. So. Do you want to give us any opening thoughts on that, Em? Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating that we have this character of Mon who has repeatedly expressed, you know, distaste and distance from the traditional aspects of her culture while her daughter is doubling down. Like it's very nope. like, you know, daughters of feminists love to play with dolls. Like yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like this is definitely something that i've encountered in my life like you know especially you know being a daughter Mm. um you know and it's really interesting how like you know genevieve's performance is so subtle and it's like it's like is she bewildered is she bemused Mm. is she upset is she worried like it kind of like you kind of get a couple of seconds of thinking of like you know she's kind of thinking like did i make a mistake in not taking darvo's deal because it's Mm. like because it's it's kind of like well you know this is something that lita wants like yeah. Lita might want to jump, you know, feet first into into Chandrilin tradition. Yeah, maybe she wants to have an arranged marriage. Maybe she wants, you know. Yep. And it's like I for think- all of Mothma's convictions, you know, ba- that are based around her own experience of like not having a choice in who she married, and it kind of really messing up her life. You know, is. It's just like there's a real tension there, you know. It's like Mothma has her own convictions and her own experience, and she feels like that is enough to inform her. But at the same time, she's getting all this external feedback about, yeah. you know, maybe that's not something that she has to cling to. Maybe that's not an important thing for her. Maybe that's not the best thing for her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it'd be interesting to hear. I mean, I assume that we will in the finale, but it will be interesting to hear sort of what Leda says about about the idea of arranged marriage. Because, yes, she's very, like, in the culture and, like, is all about that Chandrilin life. But at the same time, I think she knows her parents aren't happy together. And she knows her parents are a product of that arranged marriage. So I wonder if she has any sort of, like... Because to me, like, Leda's interesting because she's, like, a mini rebellion in the show about rebellion. You know what I mean? She's just the rebellion of a teenage daughter or a teenage kid at all in general. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting because I thought about it a million different ways. And I was like, I was like, what if there's a reality in which Mon is like, is like, you know, here's this boy. And then she's like, I don't want to marry him because 
to just to spite Mon Mothma. Do you know what I mean? And the show is really good at doing this thing where like it sets things up with a, a thousand possible outcomes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which we're, I, I will say personally speaking, I'm not super used to that in Star Wars. I'm like, I'm kind of more used to like there being a couple different po- outcomes. But with this show, I'm like, I have no freaking clue what's going to happen. Like, I, I no idea. Um, I really like to hope that there's like, I, I really, what I would love more than anything, which will not happen, so I'm just going to pontificate for a second, please indulge me, is I would love if Mon Mothma was just like, listen, like, like, because I think there's some of the angst that Leda has towards her mom is that, like, she knows her mom's hiding something. So what I would really love, even though it would completely endanger her, is I would love if Mon Mothma could just be, like, talk to her kid like she's an adult because she is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a full-grown person. Like, she's a human being. And I would just would love if she would just like, would level with her and be like, hey, you know what? Like, I there's this thing happening and this person asked you to do this and I want to be completely real with you. Like, if you want to do it, it's your thing. But like, don't this, but I regret doing it. And here's why. And like, you know what I mean? I just, I wish she could really just be real, um, get real with yeah. her daughter, because I think it would also heal a lot of the hurting that Leda has. You know, what's really, you know, listening to you talk about that is so, it really sort of lays bare some of the like meta storytelling that they've been doing because you know, I feel like one of the things that's telegraphed from the very first scene of of a seeing Lita with with Mothma is, you know, that that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like their relationship is so combative and hostile and her daughter holds her in contempt. Yeah. And you can't have those kinds like we sort of all instinctively know that kind of vulnerability and those kinds of open, honest conversations cannot take place in an environment where that's the relationship. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like there's just like, it's like that thing where it's like, if you're living in a place of resentment, like everything that person does that you're resentful towards is just going to piss you off. Yes. Even if it's the best of intentions, if you're in a place of resentment, it's like, Oh, it's just the most toxic place to be. It's, it's so, yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and go ahead. That, that's why it's so brilliant that like that they did that because it's yeah. like you know right away from the beginning of the story it's like this is not this is going to be a train wreck like mm. there is no healthy way of resolving the conflicts like it's basically telling you like right away like a big neon sign right yeah. yeah yeah and what do you think that's a product of i mean obviously it's a product of sort of like the the our, the uh, the culture, the Shangelin culture, it's also a product of sort of like family dynamics. But do you think there's any like, I mean, there has to be part of it too that's influenced by the empire. I mean, obviously through like Mon Mothma's response to the empire and sort of like positions that she has been put in, positions it's put her marriage in, positions it's put her in as a mother. Like th- there's also like sort of like um a product of their time element to it too, right? Yep. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I would I would go back um, you know, to to what you were saying about how you think that Leda senses that Mothma's hiding something. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like that doesn't yeah. foster healthy relationships either, right? Yeah, so you're point. you're right. Like this this uh, so much of that relationship is a product of of its environment and i i think that that's another reason why we're getting such strong visual cues in the show 
you know, from Mon Mothma's apartment, which looks yeah. like prison. Right. It looks like, yeah. And she's, and we rarely see her out of it. Right. I mean, she's yeah. stuck in that box. I mean, she really is stuck in that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. also gives me a lot of like doll's house vibes kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some yes. doll's house energy to this and I'm just kind of putting it's it together, true. but there is right. right. Um, yeah, also absolutely. Jessica Chastain is going to be starring in a reimagined production of a doll's house on Broadway, which I find to be very exciting. Isn't that exciting? That is so exciting. Very exciting. I love Jessica Chastain. <laughs> I do too. Okay, I so love her I have almost question. as much as Oscar Isaac loves her. <laughs> oh my god, that's a lot of love. There's a lot of love to go around between all three. I love it. Um, <laughs> I was gonna ask you, sort of like how you relate to. Well, you're also a parent, your daughter, and your parent. So, how do you relate to, I guess, either party in terms of Leda or Mon Mothma? Um, as a as a queer person, I mean, mm. does your queerness sort of like come into play at all when you when you kind of project yourself onto certain dynamics that are or, or are not at play? Oh my gosh, so much, so much of what we've just talked about. I mean, like yeah. you know, having to live in secrecy, like having yeah. so many things about, you know, I mean, a, having a queer childhood is a trip. Like it's, it's a whole it's other a traumatic thing. trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's like you know yeah. you're surrounded with like you know compet and heterosexism yep. and like and all this stuff and all yep. these expectations and you know and and. And on the inside, you know that that's not the life for you. You know, yeah. it's like everyone around you is talking to you as if you're going to have this like, you know, straight, you know, cis relationship, um, you know, and a minivan and 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. And you're just like, sure. It's like you have to just kind of play along. Um yeah. You know, and yeah, it's there's there's a lot of secrecy and there's a lot of bucking expectations and, mm -hmm. you know, and and also on the opposite side, you know, there's once you're out, there's a whole other set of expectations that happen. And, you know, and your oh. parent is like can be sort of thrown into like the problem is, is that so many queer people are born to straight people. Right. So <laughs> yeah, you're only like you're if you're a queer person born to a queer person, you're super lucky. Like that's like what. Yeah. But yeah. like, yeah, you know, so it's like your parent doesn't know what to make of you. And like and it's such a it can be such a it's like the weirdest. Honestly, the weirdest feeling to me was like knowing that my mom was going to P flag meetings. What's a P flag meeting? You I'm sorry. Baby. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, P flag stands for parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Oh my God. Slay. Yeah. And it, and it was like support groups that would meet in like church basements and stuff like weekly. Oh my gosh. Cities. And it was, and it was for like parents and, you know, friends of lesbian and gay people to yeah. come together and to talk about their feelings in a safe space and huh. also to but like the purpose of it was to purpose to cultivate like allyship like yeah like you know like there wasn't any of this like i mean obviously if parents had distress they were allowed to talk about that and the, and it was it's also a good it's also good because it gave them a space to process that stuff yeah away from 
the queer person in their life so that they wouldn't be sort of dumping their negativity on queer, on a queer person who did nothing yeah. wrong but ex besides exist you know like <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> you know what i mean yeah but yeah I do. So that's so that's what that's what peace like meetings are I, I i just you know what i think it's such a great sign that like you don't know what that is because it's like mm. 15 years ago like 20 years ago like the everyone in the queer community like knew what that was but i guess now it's oh, yeah. not necessary because you know rather than having these little pockets of like hidden support groups you know people are expected to take on the mantle of allyship using yeah. just like, the resources that are around them yeah. you know and yeah and i think that that means that it's there's this kind of openness that exists and you know, it's sort of easier for people to make the transition into being allies if that's something that they need to do as part of their life journey. Yeah, so I think it's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, no. And also, I'm grateful to hear about it. So thank you for s explaining it, because there's, you know, I try to I try to be as informed as I can on all queer history. And I've just never heard of that. So that's very that. obvious. So Chase, like, you know, so much about queer history. Like, oh, that's very nice. Thank you. No, it's that's obvious. Nice. So you're very knowledgeable. And it's really yeah, it looks good on you. Thank you. Ah, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, I was going to say it kind of brings up another sort of um, it's related to kind of what we were talking about before. It's this idea when we we're talking about like it being meta. It's like even if you're born into a home that's like super inclusive and super, you know, out and super allied family. And as a queer person, like growing up, maybe you felt very supported by your family, but there still is, like you said, the compet world and there still is i'm not calling the comp i'm not calling heteronormativity the empire but for this analogy it's like there are <laughs> or maybe i am um <laughs> but there are there are factors at play outside of the home that still mm -hmm. sort of like affect that you know those traumas and and those ways of growing up um and also yeah i mean a hundred percent sort of just the rebellion and and not extremism in terms of like Cyril, but extremism in terms of like self extremism where it's like, you know, I really was adamant that I wasn't queer and that I wasn't for, for a very long time. And then once I turned, you know, 17, 18, and I started to kind of really accept that internally, then I was like, only queer. I was like, mm. I am queer. I am <laughs> gay. And it was like, and then it was like, it's just so funny looking back at it. It's so cringy, but funny. And in a funny, in a cringy in a fine way, um, but it's almost like if you go to the uh, the whole other side of the spectrum. But with that side of the spectrum, there's even more expectation. Like if you just if like when I decided to like be the queerest I could, then I also found there'd be even more expect like just as much expectation, I guess, on how to perform and how to act and what was okay to do as a queer person, what was okay to like, how it was okay to whatever. Um, and then it, it's kind of like the finding the balance between the two. And I, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if Leda is doing this as a reaction to her mom and or maybe her dad, but it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if it's as a reaction or if she organically, naturally, authentically really likes the culture. You know what I mean? Like really likes sort of Shangelin culture. And if she's like, if she's just genuinely interested, interested in it, but based off the eyes she was giving her mom during it, I'm like, I don't think she really i think she's doing it i get the spite energy do you get the spite energy or no i do get the spite energy and i also felt like the chant was kind of sinister there was a dark side energy to that yeah 
Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. like interestingly, like if you listen to the words of the chant, it's really all about you know reject modernity, embrace tradition. Yeah, it, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's definitely good. It's like it's it just it kind of had like that a creepy cult song energy to yes. it, or a creepy really? like like alt something energy, <laughs> religious energy is very weird. Um, do you think that people will be ch- doing this chant on the Shangela and um, Halcyon Starline? <laughs> Maybe. Oh no! Be- Everything with Shangela, I'm like, it's under a microscope for me. I'm like, we're doing this authentically, right? We're not product placing anything. Because <laughs> I did notice, I did notice. I have to say, I noticed my Mothma like drinking out of her like Shangela glassware. I'm like, they saw that on the Shand- the Starliner. Okay. Um. <laughs> anyways. Um. <laughs> um okay so yeah so we're kind of talking about the rebellious side to it and then you kind of throw in another character you throw in vel which she adds a whole other flavor to this instead of it just being sort of like mother against child or parent against i hate this is the thing gender is very valid in the way that it like it is read onto us all and it is a function in society regardless of how functional it is but I don't like it when we're like, when I kind of just almost found myself saying like mother against daughter. It's like, no, it's parent against child. Like it is not a daughter spiting her mother. I mean, it literally is. And there probably are certain like gender factors that come into play in terms of the intersectionality of the dynamics of this fam- familiar relationship. But random tangent. But so it's like, <laughs> instead of this story of like parent against child, you also have this like third party, you know, aunt vibe you know what i mean and she it's so interesting to me to see where this is going to go because like vel is against this mon's against this but also mon is seeing that she kind of like like that later actually likes it but i don't know let's like just start with some opening thoughts on vel's dynamic in this especially as a queer person because i think she's probably even more against it than mon is Yes, I think so too. Well, I mean, because that's like tr- sort of traditionalism is is menacing to queer people, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because you know, in our world, um, well, and obviously in theirs too, because Perrin already brought up the whole compad thing. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, like it's like you know, you're you're like the little bunny in the field, and like your ears go up, you know, and you're like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like when when you're a queer person and and you're you're around that those trappings of traditionalism and of people wanting to return to you know like it right away feels like a threat yeah your existence right yeah and and like vel and leda are so are like obviously so close but yes. it's going to be really interesting to see I mean, I don't even know if we are going to see this because this is like microscopic in terms of family dynamics, but I love family drama on stage. It was one of the first, like, <laughs> I just like love anything family drama I'm into, but I'm, I'm interested and would love to explore at some point sort of like how this affects Vel's view of Leda, even though she's just a kid, but mm-hmm. like how it affects their relationship because Vel is not traditional and Leda is expressing interest in nothing but 100% traditionalism. So I wonder if they'll ever address it. But I in my head, I just I think it'll be it would be a really fun thing to explore. I agree. 
I agree. Like, because it's also like, it's also like as a queer person, there are queer people in my family where it's like, it's kind of that a similar thing. I mean, Thanksgiving holiday for those who have dinner next week or the week after it's a similar vibe or any holiday dinner, any family gathering. It's like, it's like there's certain people in my family that I don't talk to about specific things as a queer person yep. because I don't want to hear their points of view on it because I know they tend to be maybe a little bit more traditional, like Val might feel <laughs> towards Leda. You know what I mean? It's like, so I wonder if it's going to be like, uh, we are not talking about that or it's going to be like <laughs> Val, Val breaks down, this like pulls down like a screen and just starts teaching Leda everything that's wrong with like traditional <laughs> chandelier culture. Um, yeah. <laughs> I also will have to say, I was like, tried not to laugh, but since we, since I guess I brought up the Halcyon, I try not to, I genuinely try not to bring it up. Um, but, but like Alan's like, everyone started braiding circle. Liam said, all your arranged marriage needs on the Halcyon. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Um, yeah. So, um, do you have anything else to say about, about sort of Vel's playing it as a queer person i don't other than she's a queen and she really is her. isn't she yeah. uh and i love watching her on screen because normally i'm not really for the ice queen thing but <laughs> it looks good on her <laughs> it does look good on her it yeah. really does it really does i think that like i think well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying not to get into speculation. I know we don't love speculation. Um, <laughs> really don't you want? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think of what else is kind of going on in this episode that that felt super queer to me, except for Cassian and Melshi. The more I think about them, the more I'm like, they need to kiss once, just once, just to see what the vibe is. Um, I really love the, I, the whole idea with them, though, that like, that they really kind of take the rebellion into their own hands in a bigger way because of their experience on Arkina five. And because they both escaped and were like, do like, did anyone else get out? Like if we were like, they take on the responsibility as if they were the only people to escape. And that is like one of the most heroic things I've seen people do in star Wars. Yes. Yes. And the fact that Cassian was able to go back and get his stuff and get the manifesto. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm I can't ready. wait I'm for Melshi to read the manifesto. I know. I can't wait for, for them to read it under the covers together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, What's your favorite part? Yes. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Everyone in the chat is shipping Cassian and Melshi now. It makes me so happy. And Melshi looks so handsome in that little shirt. Where did he get this handsome uh, um, shirt? People are saying that Cassian picked it up for him. Yeah, there definitely needs to be some Cassian Melshi fix. I want to. Yeah, and fan art. Like an awkward handy on the beach. Like. Uh. Yes. Please. <laughs> well, I don't know how good. Well, I know who would be giving it. That's all I'll say because someone's <laughs> hands are out of commission. <laughs> That's what we heard in the first scene of this episode. <laughs> yeah, not Melshi's bloody hands, but Cassie can make you. Um, <laughs> oh, um, okay. I'm trying to think. Um, it's, okay, so, okay, I'll ask the this, this Seam Queens as we sort of like 
wrap up our concluding thoughts on this episode. Steam Queens, what are some moments of this episode that we haven't talked about yet that we want to bring up? Like, let's let's throw some moments out there that I think can't be overlooked. I will ask M what you thought of sort of the dynamic between because it was so beautifully shot and it would be remiss of me not to mention the the scene set up between Clea and Val. Like just the way it was shot and the way it was again written um was so incredible. So do you have anything to say about that? I know it's kind of a, a general, general question, but it was so genius though. But I found it very interesting that Clea seems to think they're being recorded or observed in the shop. Mm. Because it's like, why did... Possibly. Because, like, why did they need to talk in code when it was supposedly just the two of them in the shop? Oh, my God. Also, that is something we have to talk about this episode. The talking in code in general throughout the entire episode was amazing. So amazing. The conversation between Luthen and Clea was insane. That was, like, one of my favorite Star Wars conversations I've ever heard. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so good. I can't like this is one of those shows. This is a no phone show. Like you cannot have your phone when yes. you're watching the show. You yep. have to give it a hundred percent of your attention. I completely yeah. agree. And like I, and like, I that um, conversation was a perfect example of where that pays off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And anytime I get distracted once, I rewind like five minutes and I just get back right into it. Um, so when you bring up this idea of of Clea being or the shop being monitored. Do you mean by the Empire? Or do you mean that maybe Clea and Luthen have like another person they're answering to? I don't know. Kind of. But that's, again, the beauty of this show, girl. I don't know how they do it. But they really like leave everything open-ended in the most satisfying way. Where I'm like, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Yes. But that's that's what's so great about espionage type shows, right? Yeah, that's a good that point. It's very genre The future genre-specific. is always an enigma. Yep. 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 Also, I'm with Hope. I definitely thought Cyril was going to unalive his mom. Like, I thought that was, a, I, for a split second, I thought that was happening this episode. I still kind of think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, not going to lie. I mean, I get that Cyril is like a very endearing character to a lot of people, and I would never try to take that, for, to that from them. But for me, it's like, I have like never liked him. And like, he's so clearly being radicalized in the worst way. And like when he was having that Zoom call, it's what I'm calling them. I'm sorry. I know it's Star Wars and there's hollow, you know, alternatives to Zoom. But whatever you want, it's fine. Thank you. (laughs) But when he was having that call with um, Brian's guy, um, the redhead, what's his name? Do we know? I don't know. It's it's an odd name. It's a very Star Wars name. And that's probably why I can't remember it. Um, But... (laughs) But there were there was such a vibe to their conversation that is like incels validating each other on the internet. Like in the fact that it happened through like a hollow conversation felt very intentional. It just felt like mm-hmm. incel behavior on a messenger messaging board where it's like validating the other one's like radical thinking and providing information to like in to 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 amplify the situation and to and to give action to the thinking you know what i mean in yes, a really scary to way to make things worse yeah 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 absolutely i think that i would never look okay we all have blorbos okay and i would never try to take anyone's blorbo away from them 
But I think what some people interpret from Cyril as like harmlessness, mm. I interpret as like very sinister. Like just because he's yeah. quiet doesn't mean he's not violent. Does that make nope. sense? It does. It does. Some of the most violent killers in movies are very quiet. Michael Myers. <laughs> Uh, Jason <laughs> Voorhees, <laughs> very quiet, angry men. <laughs> you know, it's like because the thing is, the the thing is, like honestly, I feel like the scene with Dedra is really supposed mm. to indicate to us that he is not an okay person. I agree completely, completely, and she performed that so well that's like a that's a moment in this show where it's kind of like it's a shorter it's shorter it's not insignificant but it's short and her performance in that scene i know it's not this episode but it just was so brilliant because she did such a great job of like performing her her authority in the situation and her vulnerability she did such a good job of holding both of that those dynamics do you know I mean her vulnerability in terms of just like creepy man stalker person but the authority in terms of her position at the ISB. So that performance is great. Um, yes. Also, can we define Blurbo? Oh, Blurbo? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what that means. A Blurbo is just like a character on something that you feel a particular affection for. Okay, great. But it's not like a problematic fave. It's just like it's just like a character you no, love. No, no, no. A, blur a Blurbo can be like an actual cinnamon roll, like someone who is actually very sweet and adorable. Oh, I thought you meant a literal or... cinnamon roll. I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, you don't know what a cinnamon roll is either. I'm using no. too much <laughs> slang tonight. I'm using too many niche terms. No, this is great. I'm learning. I'm learning. I so have my a pen. I'm taking notes. A cinnamon roll is um, a cinnamon roll is a uh, is a character who is like completely sweet and adorable through and through and has like no like there's Dude. no danger to them. There's no menace. Like yeah. they're just like completely, you know, like uh, a good example of a cinnamon roll is uh, Fluttershy on My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, some people like to call Finn uh, a cinnamon roll. He definitely. Yeah. It's just like what? Yes. I can see that fitting him for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so a blurbo. Is is it's the same as a glup ship shit out shit out shit glut shit Well, blurbos can be glup shitos, but like glup shitos tend to be like very obscure characters that like only appear in the background. Right, like the background. But a blurbo okay. can also be like the main character or like a secondary character on the show. Or a cinema. Yes, blurbos can absolutely be glup shitos, a hundred percent. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, great. Yeah, Will says that this convo along with current events. <laughs> as in the destruction of twitter are making him have tumblr feels you know <laughs> i would agree i miss tumblr a lot i was on it for years and years and years of my life i got off of it i got back into it at the height of the pandemic lockdown era and then i got back off of it and what's your experience with tumblr um yeah i had a tumblr that i used a lot like back when i was in australia like a long, yeah. long time ago. <laughs> and I left it behind for a really long time. But I recently have restarted on Tumblr because so many of my Relo friends have migrated to Tumblr with the recent purchase. <laughs> of yeah, Twitter. that big old purchase. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm just going to scroll through here and see if there's anything else that like 
Steam Queens suggested we bring up that we had him. Oh, Linus Mosk, by the way. Molly and Allison uh, came through with I the Linus Mosk just so that we're all we're all um, there. Um yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited. I Brasso know that we Link haven't and... really touched very much on the passing of Marva, but I think that Tom mm. and uh, Brian are going to be addressing that in H&H. So they kind yep. of like put a pin in that for us. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, I honestly meant to bring that up at the top. So thank you for bringing it up is yeah, they're going to be talking a lot about sort of like the grief in this episode because there's a lot of it and there's a lot of grief and mourning and it's going to be really interesting to see how that comes to fruition or like what, what the different payoffs are going to be with that, because it's um pretty intense. I have seen some people speculate that Marva maybe faked her death with the daughters of Ferrix as a part of this master plan. I don't ascribe to that belief, but yeah, I love because the- I don't think she would let B2 think that she was dead if she wasn't. Yeah, wow, that droid makes me cry really hard, and I don't like it. It's really good. It's really good. I love how um, I really see when I'm talking about how, like, sort of Star Wars-y that is, what I'm referring to specifically is the way that Star Wars has always had this great irony in which the robots are some of Mm -hmm. the characters that are most trenchantly humane. Yep. And how they express like it's it's hard to explain. It's like they express these sort of human qualities but in such a pure and straightforward way. Yeah. You know, it's like them being droids, it's like you kind of expect them to be two-dimensional, which sort of gives them this freedom to really only explore like a handful of emotions, but to their yeah. fullest extent, right? Yes. It's like, you know, the neurosis of C3PO and oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the audacity of R2 <laughs> and yeah. the chaos of Chopper and, you know, yeah. the the sort of um the sort of whimsy of BB eight and yes, you know, like and then you have the sort of unfailing loyalty of B2 emo. Yep. You know, what was the, it's it's so ironic. It like, it kind of, it's, it's very sort of delicious irony that it's these characters that are straight up like constructs and robots who evoke such strong emotions in humans and can develop these great relationships. Absolutely. And even AP, AP five from rebels is like, he oh, he yes. to me was like such a great representation of like of wonder and possibility and like just sort of like like when he started singing girl yeah. that is such a great star wars moment and he for like me like he represented a very specific human like a euphoric human emotion that like none of the other droids do but yeah i agree i mean the way that they're able to they're so great droids are so great and honestly that's why honestly that's why i really hope we do get some sort of droid rights thing going (laughs) on because i would love for that and i think that you have a great point in calling it you know the great irony of star wars but um i do hope one day we do get a little bit of droid rights that'd be great and i'm back thank you chase thank you m for that per usual 
you two are amazing and spoke to things much better than I probably could myself. <laughs> and also, thank you for letting me miss this episode. I had a holiday party to go to for work, so um, I was drinking with the co-workers, rooting, tooting, having a good time. It was a lot of fun, so thank you. Happy holidays to everyone. We have Thanksgiving coming up here in the States, so, you know, happy Thanksgiving a little early for that. I hope you are with a family of some sort, whether that's a birth family or a found family. I hope you're going to be able to be with some people there. And uh, until next week, you can follow the show at Serving Pink Milk on Twitter, on Instagram, sometimes on TikTok. And we also just started a hive, which so far looks to be pretty great. And also don't forget about spaces. Until then, thank you for listening. And I will see you later in the week. Let's drink up.